Hey everyone, welcome to episode 6 of the Terribly Drawn History Podcast. I know you guys have been enjoying the season so far, but this is our last episode of the season. So, you know, hope this one's a big one. Today we have a great topic. We're discussing World War One, the causes that led up to World War One, as well as how World War One ended up sta- uh, setting the stage for World War Two. Yeah, so... I want to I wanted to kind of save this for the end, but I think that I'm just so excited to use this term that I want to bring it in the beginning. All right. So, it. the term that a lot of people that have begun to uh, adopt for this period at the time is called the Second Thirty Years' War. Okay. They say that the conflicts that arise in World War One at 19, in the beginning of 1914 didn't get fully resolved until 1945. Like there was a lull in the middle, but the Thirty Years' War that you know the first Thirty Years' War that they, that they uh, are referring for to. those who don't know what the Thirty Years' War is, would you like? To it was a little? war between France and Britain. Okay, that just uh, it, it lasted thirty years. I believe it was in the seventeenth century, mm-hmm. and it was just uh, it was just a period of conflict where there were some lulls in fighting, but uh, it was mostly wartime between the two countries for. And you're saying like ultimately, like those things weren't those issues weren't resolved. Yeah, those okay. issues weren't resolved until thirty years later. Kind of so that's why it's interesting. The same way as yeah, kind of, you know, the same way World War One. Because when you really II. think about it, like you say, oh, Treaty of Versailles that ended World War One. So and then World War Two was a separate conflict. But World War One, when it was Treaty of Versailles, brought the problems that would come to World War Two. Okay. So a lot of this had to do with uh, who took the blame for World War One. So a lot of people. Well, everybody at at the committee who were in charge of this, they blamed Germany for starting the war, even though it was really Austro-Hungary's, uh, their, the Austro-Hungary kingdom, their saying, they, their ultimatum that got sent to Serbia, the kingdom of Serbia. Following the assassination of, of Archduke, Archduke Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Yeah, Ferdinand. Of, of Archduke Ferdinand. So, you know, take us through the story. So, basically... Uh, who, who was the killer? Uh, Gavril- Gavrilo Princep. And was he and working he, on behalf he of the was, country? He was part of the Black Hand. So okay. the Black Hand was like a terrorist group working inside of Austri- the Austro-Hungarian Empire, mm-hmm. and they were a lot of Serbian nationalists and just uh, people in general who wanted to break apart from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, because okay. the, the land that they ruled over, like they had Austria, and that's where a lot of the ethnic Austrians were that were part of the empire, but also they ruled part of the um, the Balkans, so uh, there's a lot of different ethnic, uh, ethnic groups there, so there was a lot of tension between them and the Austro-Hungarians, so... Uh, Serbia was was its own kingdom at the time though, but they were right outside of like they're right on the border with Austria-Hungary. Okay. So when this happened, a lot of people thought that the Austria-Hungarians, I mean that the Serbian government was working um with the Black with the Hand black. Okay, that, okay, that okay, you know okay. they assassinated him through them. But so really like we like is it accepted it, that he was working? It's, Not working. It's debated. It he did it on his own. It's very. It's Is very kind debated. of like a Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, type, yeah. Know? It's 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 a uh, also both in a car. That's what makes the war very uh, very controversial. Okay. Like not not very controversial, but like like that that event very controversial because if the Serbian government was working on behalf of like not was if working he was working with, on behalf yeah, of the Serbian government exactly Serbian government, yeah then it would have been the Serbian government's fault for starting the war exactly okay. but if not it you know Austro Hungarian the Austro Hungarian Empire was taking their so they think you're out in the wrong place. So they think that Serbia does this, right? And they get they deliver them an ultimatum, as I remember, right? Yeah, like, but it's it was, an was it? unfair. It was like, it was like, do something within twenty four hours. What was it? It was it was a list of it was a bunch of terms, but they did it in a way that they knew that the Serbian government would never. Uh, did I just make that up though, or they had to comply within twenty four? Yeah, hours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a very short amount. Of, I think it was twenty four hours. If it wasn't twenty four hours, it was forty eight hours. Yeah, yeah, it was very very soon. 
and everything they put in it was stuff that they knew they were never going to It was intentional, accept. yeah. But they actually accepted everything except one, which was to let the Austro-Hungarian Empire like enter its borders and occupy it militarily until uh, yeah. the investigation was done. Okay. That's the only thing they didn't accept. But w- the Germans were backing Austro-Hunga- uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire because mm-hmm. uh, they were saying, listen, they knew that Russia was allies with Serbia, so if they got into a war with Russia, there was some. They were on the border with Russia at the time because Poland didn't exist. Okay. So they wanted to gain more land, mm-hmm. and uh, this war, that war, would have been a chance to gain more land. I don't, I don't believe they knew about. They knew that that Russia and France were seeking better ties because that's just like you know you hear it through the grapevine, mm-hmm. as you say, like, but they didn't know the extent of their uh, alliance. So. With the German backing, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, they send the ultimatum, and the war starts. And then, what led to this, the the terrible conflict, the trench warfare, is that the German plan, the Schlieffen plan, it was na- made named after one of their generals. He want he thought that they they grossly underestimated the Russians, so they thought that the Russians were going to take a long time to mobilize. Okay. So what they did was they put a majority of their fr- troops on the border with uh, France, and they wanted to push through Belgium. Push through Belgium, like just like in World War Two, how the Blitzkrieg happened. They wanted to push through Belgium, and uh, and assault the French. And then swing back around. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to uh, just push around the, the border that the French were heavily fortified on, uh, the Alsace-Lorraine border, and uh, and catch them by surprise. But they actually got beat out. Once they invaded Belgium, that's when the British joined the war because the British and the Belgians had a treaty that went back to like 1848. That's a big problem. Like, we should talk about that because treaties and, and the, how secretive a lot of these treaties were is, why, is such a big part why yeah, it became a world war. Yeah, so they, uh, I don't think that the Germans, maybe they knew about this treaty. It's possible. But the, uh, if it was me, I never would have thought that they would enforce a treaty from over 70 years ago. It just wouldn't, like, uh, I, I'm okay. sure that the climate at the time, the, the, the Germans weren't stupid militarily. They, they, they were not. They were one of the most competent militaries, and I don't think they would have made a mistake like that, like, mm-hmm. willingly. So, uh, and then they grossly underestimated Russia. So Russia was mobilized uh, a lot quicker than they thought, so they had to divert forces uh, to their other border. But the uh, while they were trying to go around uh, through Belgium, the, the Allied forces caught them there. Okay. So that's what went to that trench warfare. They kept trying to outmaneuver each other by going... Like over because mm-hmm. and extending the battle line, but then eventually they reached the sea and they couldn't. They're trying to break the flank, right? Yeah, they, yeah. They just keep, what, were they going north or south? Yeah, north. They were going up up here. We're, we're pointing to the map behind us. Yeah, yeah if you, if you should, we post it on our Instagram. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they were going north of the border, and then once they hit the water, you couldn't go anywhere and then, else. And then that's it. That's trenches what, are dug. Yes, that's when the trenches are dug in and the machine guns and stuff. So the fighting in World War One was so brutal, and this is actually an interesting thought. I heard this one from my professor the other day. World War Two was very brutal. Not one time were gas was gas used, poison gas, like in in a military c- conflict. And uh, they say that that's because a majority of the officers in World War Two were frontline soldiers in World War One, and they experienced what that was like. So and they because like, they knew we're not going to do this. They knew once that they did that, once they did that, the other side was going to retaliate and do the same thing. So neither side wanted to kind of mess with that. Uh, so yeah, that that's an interesting thought. I just thought I'd, I'd bring that up. So when the that's war, I, I just want to say, ah, it's like that's kind of it's cool. Yeah, it's it's it's. it's, it's know, it is all that warfare, but it's, it's almost like respect. It's all uh, nah. I say half respect, but it also is like kind of like selfish, mutually assured destruction. Yeah, you know, you yeah, know, yeah. Like before nukes, the yeah. same kind of concept. Yeah. yeah, and then so 
once World War One ends, well, this is this is actually something else we want to get into. I want to get into. So everybody thinks you know it's a common misconception that the end world, you know, the eleventh day of November, uh, the eleventh month, the eleventh day, November eleventh, what we celebrate is Armistice Day or Veterans Day in America. It's that's when World War One ends, but it, it's it's not. They say the Germans surrendered that they, they didn't. What was agreed to was a ceasefire. Germany, they were scraping the barrel. They were they were definitely getting their ass beat. They were the last of the axes, uh, well, the central powers that were left. But they had the ability to fight a little longer. Okay. So, uh, there were one million Americans that just that just went over there. They could deal with that. They could deal with the French that were there. They could deal with the British soldiers that were there. They were they were well equipped. All most of them were battle hardened. They were they'd be fighting for years. But there were fifty. Oh, what was the number? I don't want to give a random number, but there was there was a couple more million men. At least at least three to four million more men wow. being trained in America, getting ready to come over. So they knew that that was coming. So what they decided to do was they didn't want to. They wanted to surrender from a position of strength. So they well they heard Woodrow Wilson's fourteen points, and they thought that America was going to govern the treaty. Mm-hmm. So they thought that the 14 points were going to govern the treaty. And a lot of stuff that the treaty called for was like uh, the establishment of, of Poland as as, a, as an independent state. Okay. The Germans were like, all right, we're going to lose piece, pieces of our land, but we can accept that. That's fine. There were a lot of things in the treaty like, oh, uh, colonies should be given more into, like more thought. Co- like people who live in colonies, and the native people there, they should be given more, more yeah, freedom yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that yeah. in conjunction with the government. Things like that. Things that were very fair that they thought that they could, they could agree to. But the British and the French didn't feel like the Americans should command the the treaty negotiations. Because they hadn't felt the brunt of the force. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, right. So when, when it actually did come to, you know, uh, they thought that, all right, Germany was a major military power. They still are an industrialized nation. They can definitely compete with us. They're one of the... the, the even despite this war, they're the third best economy. Okay. We want to cripple them. We want to make sure because France is. You got to remember, France is sharing a border yeah, with Germany. Fine. Yeah, exactly. So they they want to cripple Germany. They want to make sure Germany is never a military power again. Mm-hmm. So they slap all these all these different articles on them. Uh, one, one of the most important ones, Article Two Thirty One, the War Guilt Clause. Germany has to take full blame for the war. The Ottoman Empire is dismantled. Austro-Hungary, the Austro-Hungarian Empire is dismantled. There's nobody else that could have paid for the war, so it had to to fall to Germany. But regardless, they wanted to do that to Germany. And so when they do this, they they really, like, they they screw over one of the biggest economies in the world. And, oh, I just want to touch on this with the treaty. A lot of people say, why didn't the Germans just deny that treaty and go back to the war? The treaty was almost three months after the war started. The German government had changed. The German government was now a republic. They were no longer under the Kaiser. Okay. In 1917, the Kaiser abdicated, and they switched governments. So they needed the support of the people. Imagine they were like, oh, well, she's fire. We're negotiating a treaty. Three months later, we're going back to yeah, war. Yeah, Everybody yeah, who yeah, just yeah. went home, you get right back on the field. Yeah. So they, they wanted to end the war. They needed the support of the people, especially at like a critical time in, in the government. So they surrendered. And they, and they they signed the treaty, and they and they dealt with that. Before I'm sorry. Just before we cause we're getting ready to, like, Transition to World War Two here, right? Yeah. Sounds. I just want to bring it back to just the fighting in World War One. I. I just want to talk about the this uh, this tank documentary. Oh, that I watched. oh yeah, yeah. And uh, from what from what I understood, because the trench warfare it was so dug in, it was such a, like a stalemate, but like lives are being lost, you know. 
And so the guy who pitched the idea of, of the tank, the very first tank, it was to break those lines so it wouldn't be, you know, such a, um, you know, loss of life. It would just, you know, the fight would be, like, more decisive. Yeah. And I, I found that interesting because, I mean, like, for one, when we think of tanks now, we think of, like, these giant, like, artillery pieces, whereas then they were just more like, um, there was, like, mobile, you know, like, all, they were armored, but they were more machine guns. They were, they were to, like, go over the trench and just fire out of each side and just light up the trench. Yeah. That's the one piece. And secondly, I find it interesting that he did so in order to, you know, try and save more lives, right? But, like, the tank has become a deadly, deadly weapon. Yeah. And I find that similar to the way that maybe, you know, the guy, the inventor of the Gatlin gun tr- used it to try and, you know, he's like, oh, if I have the Gatlin gun, no one's going to want to fight. It, But it led to such a mass, you know, yes. murder of people. Murders, you know, but slaughter of men on the battlefield. I love that you just brought that up. I'm so happy that you just brought yeah. that up because I'm about to deviate so far from this point right now. Let's do it. So, uh, <laughs> so talking about tanks, it's it's so interesting. Just even the discussion of tanks because you have this new weapon that, like, the, the creator of tanks, like you said, he was like, "All right, we're gonna make this weapon. It's gonna be almost like wearing armor, mm-hmm. and you're you know, it's gonna save soldiers' lives. Like you said, it's gonna be able to get them to their objective in a safe, you know, in a safe hole and things like that. And then once. Uh, World War One ends, and these and countries are presented. You know, there's a there's like a twenty year, thirty year gap from World War One to World War Two. That's why you know the second, third years war. Mm-hmm. In that time, every country sees how effective tanks are, and now they have to figure out this completely never. Like, I feel I feel that it's not even the equivalent of when people were like, oh, we can have men mounted on horses and charge them into people like it, it's it's a completely new no, weapon of yeah. war a new way to wage war so now you see this in the difference in tank design and i, I watched a really interesting video on this i think uh potential history that was that was the name of the channel you know give, give credit where credit's due i like that and yeah. uh he talks about how like you could see the difference in tank design like the french they thought the tanks were supposed to be more of an intra- infantry support, mm-hmm. so they wanted to mix them along with like slow-moving infantry units, so the tanks are slower. They have more machine guns on them that are used for like, like you said, pushing through and getting and, and breaking I'll, lines I'll, I'll, and stuff I'll, like that. Also, to like break through the barbed wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break through bar and, and things like that. So it's a it's a night it's a big hulking tank with a, with a lot of machine gun fire. But the Americans and the Germans, they both thought of well, Patton is is one of the people who pioneered like the 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 tanks the way the tanks uh, push it through the yeah. doctrine yeah, okay. of tanks in America and the same thing in Germany and they uh, they thought the tanks should be used as their own units as their own separate military unit where it's just tanks mm-hmm. and they should have a lot of firepower and be able to move fast and break lines but in a different way and so that's how you could see the American tanks and the German tanks they have those big guns and they, and they have a, like they have a lot of stopping power in their artillery and things like that and they're fast and they uh, they're it's 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 cool to think about just like how every country kind of took their designs and went with it mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that was really interesting and uh, every country has like a tank design that's very unique to it with the Russians uh, it's you know it's like that ma- being able to mass produce it because they have to make so many for all the men that they have so the tanks were very not not cheaply yeah. made they were well made but it was very easy to construct the parts were like uh uh they were general parts so it wasn't like specially be... made parts it was just like assembly line almost yeah. like an assembly line yeah no i was just gonna same could be said of the shermans because the shermans were yeah. meant to be very very easy to drive they were meant to be if you can drive a car you could drive you can a drive sherman. this sherman yeah so like they wanted to, they didn't want it to be like something where you have to like you know be very very skilled and train it was a lot just of like people. let's mass produce them let's just throw soldiers in it and that's the thing, they're very, very fast, so they're, alright, we're cutting, we're cutting into World War Two too much here. 
But I just saying, like they they were very very fast, whereas like the Tiger was very very slow. Yeah. And you know they can only produce so many Tiger tanks, whereas the Sherman you just pump them out. Yeah, that's that's the thing. A lot of people get this misconception that like the Germans they had so many Tigers, blah, 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 but like those weapons that they made, like all these crazy super weapons, it was so hard for them to actually produce these weapons because they were kind of landlocked in the sense that you know there's only they only have the North Sea, yeah. the seat of the North, not like the North Sea, I don't know, it's weird, the the seat of the North of them, so. Mm. Yeah, you know they only have that, so mm-hmm. it's hard for them to get resources. And where they were, it wasn't very like resource rich in general. So that's why they have problems later in the war with like fuel shortages and stuff like that. And all these new weapons they were making, they weren't able to pump them out. But anyways, uh, the Treaty of Versailles it knocks out Germany. Their economy crumbles, and taking out the third, they I don't think. Now what were do you, what were some of the economic sanctions? Like, it it was the reason they, they had so to crippling? pay the equivalent of 15 trillion dollars in today's currency really? to France and Britain. And uh this is this is uh <laughs> but so Germany they have this crazy debt, right? And they couldn't pay off the French and the and the British because they were just kept printing out money. The money became useless uh their their uh the their economy no, no, marks, the marks, marks yeah, yeah. The, the economy hyperinflated. So uh France and Britain owed us money during the war so that before we got into it, we were lending yeah we were yeah. lending the money so the bankers said if france and britain oh no they sent a senator the you the the united states the president and and the united states they sent the senator over to assess the situation it was a german speaking senator and uh he said like listen there's it's real bad over here they're not gonna be able to pay their debts like they're living in the streets they're burning their money if that's how worthless it's it is cheaper to burn yeah, the money than buy coal than or buy anything coal, yeah so or wood they uh, they uh, so they they all right all right. They set, they so, set up the three way plan. It's this, got the, a little bit the like a three way plan. Yeah. yeah, so they they send we lend money to Germany to pay off their debts to France and Britain to pay us off. So yeah. we're basically paying our own debt. And I just thought that was very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it like that's just like funny Americans. Like, no, and then that's why the Great Depression has is has such a global. Yeah, because everybody was so interconnected at the time. That's when everybody started, you know, everybody was industrialized. Everybody needed to expand. You needed to trade. You needed to get other things, need other, other objects. And once economies start crashing, especially Germany, Germany, they were still, in, you know, even though they were an industrialized nation, they still needed they still needed to pump stuff out and mass produce things. Mm-hmm. And now that you knock them out and make them pay these insane debts, they couldn't pay off any of that. So their economy crumbled. And that's why people say we they were, like, driven to war, no? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... One of the things is, uh, this is something that, like, a little-known thing that they don't tell you, is um, France, at one point, Germany couldn't oc- couldn't pay off the debt, so the France, like, came in and occupied German territory for a long time with, like, military force, and it, it was just, like, real brutal, and, and they just kept humiliating the German people, mm-hmm. and that's when you, they created this situation where the people are starving, the money's worthless. Uh, there's no hope. So you have you this, have a charismatic you, leader. You like have Hitler a, out there exactly, yeah. and so he come. He can come to power. You know, he he was an ex-soldier. He knew he 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 loved Germany. He was a German nationalist, and so he started that. He, he came into the Nazi party, and he just reshaped it into his own into what he thought it should be. And also, and people I mean, followed him. Was it was it the Chancellor of Germany? I don't know what was the yeah, title called. Uh, the chance. Uh, the Chancellor. Yeah, yeah. The cha- and he, whoever was in power. The prime the, minister, whoever they wanted to, they tried to use Hitler. They were like, you yeah, know, we'll just like 
take his clout almost. You yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we'll just use him. But like Hitler became so much. Yeah, better. he He's literally at one point he, he basically told them like you need to make me chancellor. I'm going no, to overthrow. I've literally like. Like, there's sometimes you watch that guy speak, and I just, like, I almost, like, wish I could speak German. Like, how, like, like how what could... What does he say? You know, like, yeah. What, what could he have possibly said to make these people be so fanatical? You know, they, it's, yeah, it's just it's, very interesting it's, it's just... And, and it's not even... Like, there are probably so many people that are fanatical, and, and then at the same time, it's like, our leaders for so long have failed us. Like, you know, we believed in the Kaiser, he failed us. We, we believed in the Republic, he failed us. There was, like, a socialist uprising, he failed us. Now this man comes along and, like... He's actually making change. Like he was a like, like I, don't, I just don't want to. I don't want to go too light. Though. No, no, I, I, no, no. It, like he's preaching bad stuff. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't, yeah, but yeah. like that. That's the, the allies kind of set up the situation for that to happen, and it, it, it's fucked up. It, it, yeah, it really yeah. is. No, no, they, 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 they pinned him in a corner. So they, they I, I don't mean. I don't mean. I'm not saying what he did was right at, at all. But it, yeah. it's like the situation, and then that's where you get even. Even in Italy, Italy was crippled. And then they were humiliated by the Allies as well. They shed blood just like everybody else. They fought just like everybody else. You know, they were on the Allies' side. They, they thought that they were going to get pieces of land that they were promised. But at the Treaty of Versailles, they didn't get anything. So now the Italian people are resentful. You get Benito Mussolini, who's able mm-hmm. to come to power. Mm-hmm. Another charismatic leader who promises change in a place that's dirt poor. And then the same thing with Japan. Japan was promised stuff by the Allies. They, weren't, they were completely forgotten. At the Treaty of Versailles, they felt like the, it, the the people were being racist to them, and they were because they were, they they weren't respected. They especially were especially Japan. Japan were, has always thought of themselves as not being a part of Asia. Yeah, ex- they ex- always ex- thought themselves to be more like of their own. Uh, I don't want to say European, but like of you know of, of their the, of, of their, their own. If their, you were to say like first world, third world, like they thought like we were we're a number one player. They thought that yeah yeah exactly, and especially at the time when they were a major industrialized nation, they wanted colonies of their own. All why exactly. why can the Europeans just have colonies? Why can't it be us? It's exactly what happened. And then you get. You know, this whole, you get all the, like we talked about in our first podcast with, you know, you get this whole notion of Bushido and stuff and that they start mm-hmm. to preach that into mm-hmm. the, and, the, and then you get militarism and the rise of the uh, Hideki Tojo, the prime minister told the emperor, I, I can, ch- I could channel this militarism. I can channel this. I can, we can make the state run on, on a militaristic doctrine. And they start expanding into China and stuff and they want to industrialize more and they want to expand. They want to create this co-Eastern prosperity sphere. It's a big, uh, big word right there. Mm. And uh, so now you have these three, now the Great Depression, all these countries are poor, They'll, the people are willing to put these other people in power, even though they might be so-so in their, you know, in their background and the way they're doing it, they're making change at the end of the day that, that, that their previous that governments were tangible. Weren't. Yeah, they, exactly. They can see what's going on, you know, they can see the projects that, you know, uh, they say Mussolini, he made the trains run on time. Yeah, he made the trains run on time by threatening to kill anybody who didn't fucking show up <laughs> on see, time. the thing is... What's strange about Mussolini is, though, you talk to people, like, who have Italian grandparents, and some of them will say, like, no, like, they still, like, they, love they still him. actually like him. It's, <laughs> like, it's strange. Yeah, it's, uh, I, it's crazy. I don't want to make that as a general thing. I'm just saying from personal, no, yeah. I've spoken to people, yeah. Whereas, like, no one's going to say that about many, you know, like, no yeah. one's going to be like, yeah, Hitler, he's all right. Like, yeah. You'll never hear that. <laughs> and, uh, but Stalin is a, is a whole nother, you know, he doesn't. Russia gets left out of the treaty, but it wasn't a resentment for the Allies that allowed Stalin to get in power. The guy was masterful. You know, he he comes up. Oh, I dropped something. <laughs> he comes up as a uh, as a as as a small town. He, he was born to a shoemaker, and and uh, a pe- you know his family was peasants. And he came up, and he's in the Communist Party. He gets rule over a city that's under communist rule after the revolution, and. Uh, Lenin and Trotsky actually started to not like Stalin because they thought he was too brutal. Mm. And uh, there was like a revolt in, in the city that he was kind of governing. 
and he just put it down like it was bloody. It was it was a mess. And and lit- before Lennon's death, he li- he literally said, "Do not let that madman get power." Really. And what uh what Stalin did, it's, it's it's masterful. Even though he did not like Lenin at the end, what he did once Lenin died, he sought to make him out to be like a god, so that he could basically say. Look, that was your God. Now I'm his, like, I'm Jesus. Like, yeah, I'm the yeah, second, yeah, I'm, co- I'm the embodiment. Okay. Yes, I'm the embodiment of Lenin. And the mm. and so, guy was masterful. He, fuck, it, it's insane. Also, going back to the tank thing real quick, I heard uh, in that same documentary, they were saying that at the end of World War One, like, Germany had, you know, they also had military sanctions. They weren't really, they weren't allowed oh, to yeah. have a tank division. Mm-hmm. So what they did was, they went to Stalin, which was an unlikely ally, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They go, they go to Russia, and Russia was interested in tanks, but they didn't have the funding because their economy wasn't up and running the mm-hmm. same way. It, it, their economy wasn't as industrialized, and they didn't have the scientists. But Germany had both the money and the smarts, but they couldn't, they couldn't you know, use, Test it, use it. So what they did was they brought their technology over to Russia, and they would train with the Russian army. <laughs> And they would, you know, they would be able to run maneuvers, but they had to do it in, like, they would do it all in Soviet uniforms. I was just going to say that, didn't they wear Soviet uniforms? That's awesome. That's so funny. (laughs) And then, when was it? I don't, I can't remember the exact, uh, I guess when, just when Stalin was, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's paranoid leader. And so, like, when things were starting to go down, he had, like, everyone killed in that, in that base. He had, even, like, their groundskeepers, like, anyone who associated with Germany, like, during that whole operation was murdered. Yeah, it's... Uh, that's, I actually thought it was an unlikely ally, you know? Th- that's one of the reasons that, uh, well, yeah, def- definitely an unlikely especially, especially coming in, you know, because then they end up fighting again yeah. in the Second World War. They, they knew it was coming. It was kind of just like they both wanted to expand, especially into Poland, because they both thought that Poland was that's their That's what it was. I'm land. sorry. That's exact. I think that's... No, no, no. Maybe I'll make that up. It might have been when um, Hitler invaded Poland that Russia was like, oh, like, we're, you know, we're fairly close as well. We might be next. And that's when he had all everyone who had past associations with Germany got you know, killed. Yeah, and, yeah, okay, that's what it was. Oh, uh, that, that's it's interesting. I, I believe it. Yeah, he killed. He, that's one of the reasons why the first three years of the Soviet army was just they were getting destroyed by the Germans because he killed all, almost all of his veterans, like advisors, all of his veteran generals and stuff, mm. and replaced them with people who were just like devout communists and not yeah, actual yeah, military yeah, leaders. Yeah. Then it took a while for like the the, the you know the seasoned veteran, like to come people, back to the top. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so that, that that's one of the reasons for like uh, why why they failed. Well, not failed. Well, yeah, yeah, failed. They got they got yeah. shit kicked out of them. Uh, so the the humiliation in World War Two kind of led to you know some of the things Hitler made the French sign the their surrender treaty in the same cart that they signed the Treaty of Versailles. In. Okay. And then he blew it up and, and just stuff like that. Yeah, it, it, it's it's uh that's the, the one trip he took there. He blew it up to to Paris. Okay. And uh, it's just it's just you could see how the war how you know these the conflicts mm-hmm. that started in 1914 didn't come to an end until 1945. All these leaders were able to arise to power from things that were uh, you know things that were unsettled at the end of the First World War. And the way that France and Britain treated those countries was, you know, not that it was unfair, but yeah, I mean... Well, it just put them in a a position where they're not going to be able to be accepted back into... Like, like you can't have peace. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to be able to function. So either they're going to, you know, fall apart 
or rise against you. It was a war on everybody's part. You know, uh, I I think in, in World War II, you can almost unanimously say that they were good guys and bad guys. But I think in yeah, World War yeah, One, yeah. it's very hard to say who was a good guy and who was a bad guy. It was just, I, I've at least personally, this is us getting, I view it as man versus man. Whereas World War Two, I, I I actually saw as like a moral struggle. The way that you know the, these go, the Japanese, the Imperial Japanese government, their their soldiers, the way they were treating people, the way that they were just marching into places and taking it over in a violent way, the way that you know the Italians committed war crimes in Ethiopia, the way that the Germans are rounding up ethnic minorities and killing them, and uh, and just invading places, just things like that. I see that as as it's moral ground for it's war. It's moral ground for war, yeah. Whereas World War One is very, very more questionable. About, it was more about land and... It was, and just, yes, it was more about greed, about the yeah, greed of, okay. of, of the rulers and things like that. And that's why you see after World War One that there's a shift. And that's, uh, you know, that's when the monarchies start dying. That's There were still kings around that time. They still made a majority of the, of the decision. And there was, you know, there were some Republican governments, yes, but like... At the end of the day, a majority of the, like, you know, Ger- the German Empire, the Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire, they were all, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, they're all ruled by kings. Mm-hmm. It, and uh, it's things like that, that you see how after that, they're like, the people, the common people, they kind of wake up and they're like, this is a war that we kind of didn't want to fight. You know, what what did we gain from this war? Exactly, what yeah. what came out of this? And that's when you get that shift. And especially after World War Two, when they once again see how a dictator... Can 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 do those kind of things, whereas like in a in a more democratic society you can't, or even in a more socialistic society, you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. you can almost not do those kind of things, and uh, yeah, that, it's just an interesting shift to see. Is that a wrap up? Yeah. I think Anything it's... else you want to mention? No. All right. Yeah, that felt good. So that's episode six. Thanks, Hope you guys. enjoyed it. That's end of season one. Awesome. We'll be back again in a couple months. <laughs>